0: Welcome to a Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Dalton Garris on January 8, 2018. Dalton's the author of the book Manna from Heaven From Divine Speech to Economic Science. Correlating the Baha'i and Muslim teachings with economics, Dalton uses the concept of prophetic dialogues or divine speech to indicate true religion as opposed to ideology and demonstrates how it harmonizes with science. His exposition of the elements of economics is reinforced by the liberal use of passages from both the Koran and the Baha'i scriptures, providing unique insights into economics, society, and religion, and stimulating a much-needed discussion on the harmony of science and spiritual teachings. Dalton reads an excerpt from his book in the interview. I started the interview by asking Dalton where he grew up and what was religious life like growing up.
1: I was born in New York City but grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts. Most of my family was Catholic, but when they moved to Amherst, Massachusetts, we joined the First Congregational Church on Main Street, and I was uh, raised religiously in that Christian denomination.
0: What was your spiritual journey that took you from that perspective to becoming a Baha'i?
1: I kept asking a lot of questions for which there were no answers provided by any of the ministers or priests in my, in the town of Amherst. I went to, oh, let's say I went to the Catholics and uh, all the Protestants, and then I also went to the Mount Toby monthly meeting of friends. It was a long time I finally heard about the high. Studied it for about a year and then became a member because it united and connected all my questions and it seemed to fulfill all past the promises of the past religions.
0: So, as a young person, you were spiritually oriented?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I was always spiritually oriented. In fact, I, I would maybe take it too far and I feel sorry for fallen leaves and things like this, (laughs) growing grass and uh, evaporating dew.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, from divine speech to economic science. So Dalton, let's talk about your book. First of all, what inspired you to write this book?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I just began writing the book and... Sat down, I had some time, and I sat down. I started writing, and in a week or so, I had like 60 pages. So I decided I had better organize it and decide what I wanted to do with it. And so I was getting my PhD at the time at the University of Florida in agricultural economics, agricultural and resource economics from the Food and Resource College of the University of Florida. And I had studied the Quran for a very long time, because uh, as a Baha'i, the Baha'i faith comes after Islam the way Christianity comes after Judaism, and Islam comes after Christianity. So it was like the next step. And in consequence, I read the Quran thoroughly. And as I b- studied economics to get the PhD, I became convinced that there was a lot of economic content in the verses of god in the quran and also in the old and new Testaments, that hadn't been looked at for a very long time or at all so i decided that i should look at the economic content of the word of god as it is revealed in the holy books the best known holy books of the past
0: what would people find in your book
1: I think they're going to find a unity of science and religion that will surprise them. The first chapter discusses how true science and true religion are, in fact, united in that they use the same discourse, they use the same evidentiary procedures and proofs and so forth, one as the other does. For example, when Jesus Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount, or the other things that are recorded in the four Gospels, these are things which can be tested. They can be tested and verified as to their results. Of course, much of what the manifestations of God, the messengers of God, said have to do with the afterlife. Well, in that case, we have a data problem. It doesn't mean that we don't know anything about it, just as Einsteinian theory had a lot and he used models because he had no data on it. It took, In fact, it took even up to this year to prove the presence, the existence of gravitational waves. We actually were able to. We had advanced to the point where we were able to to uh, perceive them. But in, in the time of uh, when Einstein wrote the general theory, people thought it was just something that nobody could really prove. And it was as much metaphysics as physics at that point. The same is true with a lot of what religion says. If you see predictions, let's see if the predictions work. If it promises you something in prayer, give it a shot. Try it out and see if this is in fact what works. The rationalness of it, the logic of, say, the discourse of Jesus or Moses or Muhammad or later on Baha'u'llah and the Bab is just phenomenal, it's mind-blowing, really it is, because it's all logic and it's all very, very scientific. As Abdu'l-Bahá, the son of Baha'u'lláh and the center of of the covenant for the Baha'i faith said, he said, by religion, what we mean is that which can be ascertained by evidence and not that which is mere superstition.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris author of the book, Manna from Heaven, From Divine Speech to Economic Science. Dalton, do you have an excerpt prepared that you'd like to read for us?
1: I think one I would like to do, it's one that describes the difference between science and religion on one hand and ideology on the other. Ideology is that which borrows from both science and religion, but is neither ideology are things like where you have a belief, but you don't allow this belief to be questioned by in, any independent source. You're either a believer or not. For instance, racism is one. Nazism is another. Communism is one. Capitalism capitalism is one. Buddhism is not. That's just the way we, we say it. But the interesting thing is that in the ideology, one of the best discussants of the ideology is Alain Bessasson, and he wrote a book called The Intellectual Roots of Leninism. And this was a, a very fascinating book, printed in 1984. It's really been one of my big influences. So I thought I would take from that something that were he quoted. Then I looked at the quote, and I thought, gee, I've read something like that. And in fact, what I had read came from the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. That was an extraordinary thing because it was uh, the, the chapter called Ivan's or Ivan's Rebellion. Ivan uh, was saying that you, if Jesus Christ came back again, he would be immediately persecuted and crucified by the people who did this the first time. So I thought this was pretty extraordinary and went back and looked at it. And I added it in my book because it's such an extraordinary thing. So let me just say something as an introduction to this part right here where I'm discussing, well, why is it that priests and the religious orthodoxies of the time are so opposed to the manifestation of God when he comes. Why do they work so hard against this thing, which they say they have been praying for all this time? And one of the possible reasons is because they don't trust the people with this new information, that it should come through them. As As some are told, don't study the Bible, don't play God, that's our business, listen to us and we'll give you the correct interpretation. And, of course, this is what's been happening all down through history. So just listen to this. This is from Ivan. This is what uh, Dostoevsky thinks will happen, and it's one of the the most perfect descriptions of fascism uh, or totalitarianism that you've ever heard. And when you listen to it, you will think, my God, this is, in fact, what the priests and ministers hope to achieve in a way, in terms of the way they would be shepherds of their flocks. Here it is. They will become timid and will look to us and huddle close to us in fear as chicks to the hen. They will marvel at us and will be awe-stricken before us and will be proud at our being so powerful and clever that we have been able to subdue such a turbulent flock of thousands of millions. Oh, we will allow them even sin. They are weak and helpless, and they will love us like children because we allow them to sin. We shall tell them that every sin will be expiated if it is done with our permission, that we allow them to sin because we love them, and the punishment for these sins we take upon ourselves. And we shall take it upon ourselves, and they shall adore us as their saviors, who have taken upon themselves their sin before God the most painful secrets of their conscience, all, all will they bring to us. And we will have an answer for all, and they will be glad to believe our answer, for it will save them from the great anxiety and terrible agony they endure at present in making a free decision for themselves. And all will be happy, and all the millions of creatures except the hundred thousand who rule over them. For only we, we who guard the mystery, shall be unhappy." Now I quote from my words. This book excerpt has been quoted at length for its spellbinding description of totalitarianism and its perfect-sounding justification for it. History unfolded subsequent to the book's publication in a manner these words prophesied, but with secular fascism ruling in Italy and Germany, the heart of Roman Christian religious orthodoxy, and the remnant of the Holy Roman Empire, and anti-religious communism in the heart of Eastern Christian Orthodoxy, and the remnant of Byzantium. Certainly, the professional religionists must have harbored such thoughts on some level, as demonstrated by their actions down through the ages, at the appearance of each subsequent prophet. It is, of course, only a characterization, and not refutable, No volume of words can hope to contain a description of all the damage the misuse of religious devotion has caused. But the purpose of quoting these pages is to suggest the character of the defensive forces that will be called upon by religious powers in fending off a new message from God.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, from divine speech to economic science. So Dalton, why should someone read your book?
1: I think that someone should read the book if they are interested in either science or the bridge between religion, religion and science. And when I say religion, really what I'm I'm not talking about any established religion. I'm talking about the messages from the manifestations of God as recorded in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, and in the Quran. There are other books, too, but some of them, for instance, the Bhagavad Gita and the Zendavestas, I did not feel mature enough and knowledgeable enough to any discussion of their cosmology. I felt very comfortable talking about the Christian one and the Muslim holy books as they were very, very straightforward and very accessible.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, from Divine Speech, to economic science and you had mentioned an example about Christ's Sermon on the Mount and how those principles that he enunciated there were data that you could use could you expound upon that
1: well for example take the one that says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth is this true has anyone tested it to see if this is true? And what is meant by earth? We know it is meant by meek. It means meek meek persons, persons who are not arrogant. But uh, what is meant by earth? Ah, well, what if it meant the earth of understanding? The meek will under, will inherit the earth of understanding. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Well, yes, it does. Does the meek ever inherit the earth, of the, the, the physical earth and the span of Of land or no, they usually get run over by those who do and have power. How about this one? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall attain peace. Do they? How do they live? What is the station of their characteristics, and how are they balanced mentally and emotionally throughout life? And so we go on with that. There are many others that he said. For instance, when he was confronted by... The Jews who said that they would do certain things and uh, His Holiness Jesus said, well, actually, of course, Moses said you shouldn't do this. They said, we do it anyway. He said, full well, they follow in their own traditions. That is, they know what they're doing, but they want to follow their own traditions. The same is true with the Christians. The same is true with every established religion. When you look at the yawning gulf between the teachings of the prophet, founder of that religion and what the religion is actually practice today. That was one of the reasons for my writing the book, so that people could cut through all the dialogues and everything and just get to, well, what did the messenger of God say and what does it mean to us in practical terms? How is this going to change us politically and most specifically economically? And the reason I thought it had a lot of economic content is because actually there is no economic solution to the economic problem. There is no technical economic system that can be devised that someone cannot game or use to cheat, either to take something from someone else or to enrich themselves somehow. There's always going to be a way to do it. So what is the solution to the economic problem? It turns out to be political and spiritual. Political in the sense that it has to be guided by a certain level of consensus on a broad base. Spiritual in that that consensus must be guided by the teachings of God as revealed in all the holy books of God. The only reason they would disagree is because they were revealed in different times but otherwise when you look at them spiritually the core spiritual message is identical in each and every one
0: so I'm speaking with Dalton Garris author of the book manna from heaven from divine speech to economic science so Dalton where can people find your book
1: yeah that's a good question I think they can find it on Amazon by the way it's it has many mistakes in it most of which were caught but some were not and I hope that it goes into reprinting soon where I can update it so it's a 2007 book and you probably can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or by writing directly to George Ronald Press in in, I think they're either in Oxford or Cambridge or Oxbridge as we say and they may have a, a copy for you. I think it's still in print there may be some limited supply but no doubt you can get it on Amazon, just look at the addendum in the beginning to make sure that you you look at all the mistakes that are are covered and corrected in the addendum. I'd like to quote one following paragraph, if I could, from what I said read before,
0: if that would be all right. That'd be fine.
1: Economics is very much interested in growth. It spends a lot of time on what it is that can be done economically to make people prosper. And one of the things that we see today is that because of labels and because of ideology, certain things aren't done in certain countries just because they are considered, on the face of it, some kind of evil. Socialism, for instance, comes up, as as does communitarianism or cooperatism uh, come up as uh, bugaboos and things that we should not do because uh, we are we're very special as americans or something or other or as some other country but let's have a listen to this we now have explored and suggested how societal transformation results from individual transformations we now link together individuals from different time periods and different lives using the concept of utility to show how individual preference satisfaction, this is a technical term that was gone over in the chapter, properly used by the divine messenger can lead to a socially optimal growth path and optimal state. It is not an invisible hand process which sees socially positive results flowing from the myriad private activities pursued by individuals seeking nothing more than their own gain. Rather, This process will be shown to be the result of purposeful public investments in social institutions that can produce preference functions linked interpersonally and intertemporally, that is, between time periods, generations, as directed by the prophets and messengers of God. Initially, the divine messenger transforms the lives of a few key and fated individuals who subsequently In the fullness of time, transform the growth path of an entire civilization. Finally, the leaders of that civilization preserve the transformative process by establishing institutions that foster personal transformation in its individuals. Light upon light, Allah guides to his light whom he wills,
0: as the Quran says. So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris author of the book, *Mana from Heaven, From Divine Speech to Economic Science. Now, Dalton, can you give us an example of what you had just read, let's say, in the Christian or Islamic history, and then maybe also in the Baha'i history?
1: Well, what I just described was how a few individuals can transform a whole society when they have the new message of God. And can topple entire civilizations as Jesus said not one stone or brick will lay upon another what he meant of course was that the civilization of the Romans the pagan Romans would not exist any longer it would be toppled and overturned and replaced by something different let's have a look at say the message of the Quran. one person unlettered who neither could read nor write and was a carpet merchant who worked for his wife's business bringing carpets from different parts of the world back to sell in Mecca and this person was inspired by God and revealed words that transformed an entire society how do we know this well let's just look at the situation For the Arabian Peninsula people in the year 600 AD. They were not even considered humans by their neighboring states because of their very backwardness and their sloth and their warlike nature, including the fact that they would bury their girl children alive as a sacrifice to one of their gods, which they all believed in. So, after a period of two or three hundred years, this place was transformed, first in the Levant and then in places like Baghdad and Damascus, and then later on in Spain and in Egypt in Cairo where you had established some of the first universities that were open to the public on the face of the earth. The Muslims became leaders in commerce, in science. They were the ones who brought to us the knowledge of what the Greeks and Romans had written and the philosophers of the past. They traveled widely throughout the world for all sorts of reasons, and a lot of it was scientific research. And it was because of the influence of the Muslims that the dark ages of Europe were ended by the Renaissance, because of the crusades that had been going on for about 260 years or so, 230 years, something like that, where the Europeans would try to uh, liberate, quote-unquote, Jerusalem from Muslim rule. They failed in this, but what they did do was to bring back all the knowledge and things that they had learned and had come in contact with. When they went back to Europe, the Renaissance began. So that's one example. Let's go back to look at the Jews. The Jews were a benighted people who lived in Egypt without any rights or privileges whatsoever. They had become slaves. And then by the hand and the words of one man who, by the way, had a speech impediment and could not make himself clear to others, he had to have his brother Aaron there. The words of this man, including the Ten Commandments, were so powerful that there is not one civic society on the face of the earth that does not have some semblance of the Ten Commandments in its uniform code laws. Again, we go, we look at Jesus Christ, his holiness, Jesus. Before that time, the Jews themselves, many of them, and other Sibians and other persons, Chaldeans, were awaiting a messenger who would lift from them the Roman yoke. And this man came. He also wrote nothing down. He walked and talked for three years, and he fulfilled the prophecies, but in ways in which the Jews did not expect them to be filled. So in consequence, most of the Jews turned away, but others came in. And in a very short period of time, Rome itself became Not only the Holy Roman Empire, but Byzantium, the Eastern Roman Empire, under Constantine, who was the first emperor to become Christian. And so Christianity grew East and West and soon dominated all the neighboring countries. So these are two examples of how individuals to whom God has spoken will completely transform an existing society. Will it happen again? Most certainly. Most certainly it will, because that's what history tells us. That's what happened when Muhammad came, when Baha'u'llah came. Not only that, but the Buddhas as well that came after the Hindu religion. There are so many signs of this. What do we expect to happen? What will be the changes as a consequence of this new manifestation of God coming, who does not just address one nationality, or one race, or one ethnicity, but all mankind directly. What will be the result? Well, I discuss that at length in the book and in detail, looking at scientific, political, agricultural, educational changes, the changes in the family, etc., the changes in entertainments, in work, that we can expect to occur as a consequence of the slowly but surely and unstoppable unfolding of this new revelation from God.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, from Divine Speech to Economic Science. You said this book is it's been out for a while. Had you written a book before or is this the first book you've written and do you plan to write another? It's the first
1: book I've written I wrote 11 years ago. I have revised it. I have a revised manuscript waiting for a publisher. Don't know when it will come out. The only thing I had written before then, of course, were research papers for my Ph.D. degree and my subsequent work as an assistant and associate professor of economics here and, and abroad. My last position was in Abu Dhabi, where I taught there for eight years and that was just a fascinating experience i loved it because there in the middle east religion comes up constantly in the conversation it's not something that you have to sort of very shyly introduce this is a hot topic over there and nobody's embarrassed about discussing it it is really wonderful from that standpoint very refreshing
0: so I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, From Divine Speech to Economic Science. So Dalton, did you have to be careful in mentioning the Baha'i faith when you were in Abu Dhabi?
1: Oh, absolutely. What I did instead was because most Baha'is understand that their religion comes after Islam and and therefore that the Quran is the revealed word of God. By studying that and using one of the most particularly one of the books of the baha'i faith called the book of certitude which describes and explains and fully interprets by god himself not by human beings what was meant by all those allegorical and mystical signs and symbols and words that were used in all the previous holy books of god so this is Unlocked them and unsealed them. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says, and he has come and he has broken the seventh seal. That, that it's describing this situation. So, with that, I, I would be delighted to sit down and get into a conversation about the Quran and the meaning of the Quran. And the incredible thing was that this, the meanings that were suggested by me from my study of the book of certitude and its application in the Quran were uniformly accepted, absolutely accepted every single day. That's right. That they would say, that's terrific. Yes, that, that makes perfect sense. I haven't heard such a good explanation as that. And since I was not an Arab, but was this European uh, American who grew up in uh, New England, they listened very carefully to my words because they were quite astonished that somebody like me would know anything about it. But that's what happens when you study the latest message from God. You then become privy to the secrets of all the previous messages by virtue of having studied this one thing.
0: So I'm speaking with Dalton Garris, author of the book, Manna from Heaven, from Divine Speech to Economic Science. Dalton, I want to thank you so much for sharing your work with us.
1: Oh, You're very welcome. Anytime.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dalton Garris, author of the book Manna from Heaven, From Divine Speech to Economic Science. You can find his book on Amazon. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org. Or you can call the toll free number 1 800 22 Unite. I hope you join me next time on a Baha'i perspective.
2: Chegará a... Para ti
3: No deshacer.
4: Through these empty streets you have built inside your heart I wonder if I might find you here hidden beneath the thin veneer As a passage crumbles away I wonder if I'm here to save the roadway to beneath my feet I'm so very tired I'm losing sleep
2: Love is me not. My love, can not you know I just reach thee? You know I- know this so soon did you hear me singing at the top of my lungs